In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org, but we don't only bring you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. We also have listeners from all over the world. So, good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, wherever you're listening from. And if you're new to the show, let me tell you what this series is about, Leadership Beyond Borders. Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. Now, you can listen to us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we're on every major podcast platform from Apple to Google to Stitcher to Spotify. Just put in Leadership Beyond Borders and you'll find us. And also, contact me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com and tell me what you want to hear on this show. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we'll make sure you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now on to today's episodes. On this series, we talk a lot about management practices, organizational management process efficiencies, and how to make companies more customer-oriented, efficient, inclusive, and ultimately more profitable. But we rarely talk about things in governments or in the public sector. And, you know, I myself usually don't talk about that unless it's a complaint. Now, having worked as a CEO for 20 years in the private sector, I would be hard-pressed to even use the word management and public sector in the same sentence. Okay, I might use leadership or that lack thereof leadership in a sentence with government, but in the public sector, which is government, I really never used to manage to use the word management until I read our guest's book. And this is why I'm so excited on this show, because we're going to talk about management, innovation, continuous improvement, not in the private sector today, but in government and public sectors. And our guest today is Dr. Dean Schroeder, and he's an award-winning author, consultant, and academic. He's the best-selling co-author of Ideas Are Free, the idea idea-driven organization and practical innovation in government, how frontline leaders are transforming public sector organizations. And this came out in July 2022. Now, Dr. Schroeder has worked with organizations worldwide, led radical transformations for companies, and served in four corporate boards, and was on the board of examiners for the Malcolm Bridge National Quality Award for six years. He is a senior research professor at Valparaiso 
University, where he formerly served as associate dean and founded the school's graduate programs in management. So, Dr. Schroeder, dean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kimberly, and uh, thanks for having me on. This is exciting. Yeah, this is exciting. I have to say, um, your your book really excited me. Um, so, you know, let's just the, the simple question. We talk about practices in management, but we really not never talk about management and government. Why not? Well, a couple of reasons on that. One is when we think of government, we usually think of the political side. And all the every time you get a new regime in, you get new uh, leaders. But we never think about all of the people that are working in all of the delivery systems in the state, local, uh, and federal agencies that do the day-to-day work. So one is they are sort of overlooked because of that. Another element is it is just sort of assumed by a lot of folks that uh, in order to be efficient, government should be run more like a business. And so there's a pressure to move business practices in into government. The interesting thing with that is a lot of them work, but they have to be modified because government isn't business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that reading your book that was amazing for me. And um, so you know what you founded the Graduate School in Management at Valparaiso. So what made you, what sparked your interest to start looking at government management or management in government? We, we were pulled into it. It wasn't something that we decided to do. We were pulled into it and gradually sucked further in. About eight, nine years ago, uh, right after we released our last book, uh, um, the idea-driven organization, we started getting a lot of calls from government managers asking for for help, asking for some assistance, asking uh, questions about how to apply apply uh, the principles in our books. And we had worked with government in the past, but, you know, every time we did, we just didn't feel like we were getting the traction we should. The stuff that mm-hmm. worked in, in business, wasn't quite working as well in government. So we decided to uh, study government and we thought, well, maybe we can learn a few things. So we hit the literature and there was nothing there. Then we said, well, let's go look. Let's kick on, kick down, knock on some doors and take a look at some companies, organizations that are using continuous improvement in government, in the public sector. We found a few and said, well, maybe there's an article here. And we kept getting sucked in and sucked in. What we were on, what we were discovering was the early phase of an emergence of continuous improvement in government that has really taken off starting about uh, 10 years ago. It's already been around the fringes, but about 10 years ago, uh, it really started getting uh, catching some, some momentum. And today, uh, you've got uh, uh, state conferences in, in government, in continuous improvement or lean in government, as they oftentimes call it. It goes by a lot of different names. And so we just got sort of sucked in, and pretty soon we had a book on our hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I mean, that's really interesting. And I want to come back to the continuous improvement in a minute, but, but I, I want to stay like, uh, go back before 10 years ago, because you said the interest started about 10 years ago. I mean, in the past, when we, when we heard about kind of improving 
government system or anything. It was always like big programs, you know, to eliminate waste or or revamp companies. And, um, you know, they never really seemed to work. Um, or, I don't know, maybe a few of them worked. But why did this big approach not as work as well as what we're going to talk about? Well, you think about it. You think about uh, uh, from the top, a political uh, a president or a governor or a mayor comes in and says, I want to clean things up. Sound like a political advertisement? It is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is. And, and some of them even try to do it. But the problem is they oftentimes get wrapped up in politics. The other thing is they're looking at big things. And and oftentimes you, you can you do have examples where they've made a difference, but it's mm-hmm. been a one off anecdote on a large problem. They've made some specific solutions. What they haven't done is put in the mechanisms and the management and leadership structures that improve on a continuous basis. And that's what's needed. They miss all, all the action where, where the action really is on the day-to-day uh, how government runs. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you talk about a lot in your book is this continuous improvement. So for, for our listeners, um, can, can we define continuous improvement a little bit from, from the point of view that you're looking um, before we get into the details just from a global point of view? Well, you, you have a lot. Of, it goes by a lot of different names. And uh, the, the core, though, of, of, of true continuous improvement is where everybody in the organization is, is, is looking to improve the way they do things every day. Processes mm-hmm. are being constantly improved. And where we focus, where we focus, as you saw in the book, is where the real traction is, is down on the front lines, close mm-hmm. to where the work is actually done. So what we what we see is these high-performing organizations, when their frontline person has a problem, has something bothering them, has something taking too long, they look for a solution, something minor that they can do themselves every day. And so it's, 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 you have larger projects, which might be uh, using contemporary language, a Lean Six Sigma project or something like that. Um, a little bit of jargon there, I hope you don't mind. Um, no or a rapid improvement event and all the language, which are management or professional staff driven at a higher level. And while those are important, the real action is down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, you said you, when we're talking about continuous improvement or, or CI, um, you said that there was an emergence of, of people being interested in this. Um, what kind of has caused this wave um was it because the other stuff wasn't working so well um we're going to come back and talk about exactly the frontline management in a minute but i'm just curious on you know did did everybody just kind of wake up one day and say oh okay this is the way we do it (laughs) you know you know kimberly sometimes it almost feels that way when you're when you're looking at it today because um um but when you look back Continuous improvement has been uh, around for quite a while. It's been practiced in, in uh, the private sector. You as a CEO, I'm sure, are well aware of it and uh, well aware of it down in the trenches. But but for some reason, it hadn't caught on big time in government. There were there were cases we've been able to track it back to uh, some uh, some some departments 20, 30 years ago that have tried it, and it's it, it's been sort of spotty. But for some reason, we hit critical mass somewhere around 10 years ago, where people were looking at, uh, you know, we really got to 
clean up the way we, we do government, not just outsource it or privatize it, but, you know, do it better ourselves. And there were a couple of uh, um, critical uh, apostles, I would say, that were really championing this, and they brought in uh, colleagues from similar departments in other states, and it just sort of started really getting traction 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, quick question on that, because I, 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 what you said, you know, outsource or privatize, do you, do you think that kind of nudged this a little bit? Because, um, you know, there was, or there's, and there still is some, in some places, a wave in governments to say, okay, let's outsource SAS or let, let's privatize that rather than um, looking inside and say, how can we fix this ourselves? Do you think there was any nudge there from this thinking? Oh, I, I think so. I think the nudge came from another dimension in that is it seemed to be that the only ways to do things were, you know, big changes from on top or privatize it, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Privatizing wasn't always working. Privatizing was creating, uh, in some cases, it made a lot of sense, but in others, it created a whole new set of problems. So there was a searching for a better way. And uh, and I think this this started plugging into leaders' minds as a better way. Mm-hmm. You're right, because I mean, not all the privatizing or outsourcing has worked. So, um, Dean, we're going to take a short break now, and when we come back, I, I want to talk about this front line and uh, what really means for change, and and how you know how you can implement that. And for our, our listeners, we are talking with Dean Schroeder. He's an award-winning author, consultant, and academic. He is the best-selling co-author of Ideas Are Free, the idea-driven organization, and also Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transferring Public Sector Organizations. And this is available on Amazon. Now, Dr. Schroeder is a senior research professor at Valparaiso University, where he formerly served as associate dean and founded the school's graduate programs and management. And we are talking today about um, really the you know, what governments are doing in management and how they're improving and using continuous improvement to help us all. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Dr. Schroeder, you can go to his website, dmschroeder.com. And also, there's another website, practicalinnovationingovernment.com. So please reach out to him. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, do market research, and legislative white papers focus on digital transition. They also partner with many uh, other conferences and co- associations across the world, and will be in uh, Israel in Tel Aviv for the Access Conference, as well having their own conference in Berlin, Germany, May 21st to 23rd. They also have an e-learning platform in cooperation with Boss Capital for startups, product managers, and SMBs. So if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. (music) 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about management, but we're talking about management in a different sense. We're talking about management and leadership in the government and public sectors. And our guest today is Dr. Dean Schroeder, and he's an award-winning author, consultant, and academic. He's a best-selling co-author of Ideas Are Free, the Idea-Driven Organization, and Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations. And he is also a senior research professor at Valparaiso University, where he formerly served as associate dean and founded the school's graduate programs in management. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking, Dean, before the break, we're talking about this um, this kind of uh, the government and public sectors waking up 10 years ago and saying, aha, okay, maybe there's other ways to do things, okay, um, and continuous improvement could be one way. So, when you talk about continuous improvement, you talk about frontline-driven improvement. So, can you define that for us and what do you mean by that? Frontline-driven improvement is where people and managers and leaders on the front lines that are actually doing the work. Now, in this day and age, it's not just blue collar, it's white collar as well, but they're actually doing the work of interfacing with the processes, the customers, uh, the, the, the deliverables, the people that are actually doing the work. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one, one of the reasons we ended up there is kind of interesting. The biggest 
difference between continuous improvement in government and in the private sector is in the private sector when the boss wants to do something, they usually have the authority and resources to do it. And they, you know, just just do it. They make the changes. Uh, they put together a, a, a strike force or a team uh, to improve something. When you do that in government, it takes a lot, lot longer to do it mm-hmm. because government has checks and balances, uh, diverse power, who makes what decision. And the answer is everybody. Uh, it's just a different side of thing. So, we ran into examples of improvements that would have taken about two, three weeks in the private sector that were taking 18 months in government. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you get around that? One of the ways of getting around that is to fly under the radar, under the bureaucratic radar, if we can. And that's where the front line comes in. These are the people doing the work. And so they can make improvements every day, usually small things. Small things, but you know what's a, what's a, what's a small idea? You know, Kimberly, we ran into examples uh, that uh, that might save five minutes. One one example in uh, Denver excise and licensing that saved five minutes. People were getting the the technicians were getting interrupted by people that couldn't do their own background checks because the software was so hard to read. Well, five minutes is five minutes. But what the team what the team did is they came up with uh, they they developed a new manual for how to operate the machine instructions with clear screenshots and arrows so they didn't get interrupted anymore five minutes does that save five minutes well it saved five minutes thirty six times a day um, five days a week every month every year and what it added to that one little idea as it was pointed out by one uh, director in the government was that one idea saved $100,000 every wow. year. And, wow. and, and you can come up with these ideas every day mm-hmm. and they add up. Yeah, now that that's a re- really good story. Uh, um, but uh, you know, as you you just said, you know, you compared kind of the government and, and the private sectors. Okay, and um, when I when I think about you know the the government sectors or public sectors, I think hierarchy. And yet, you know, of course, you said that because it's political. And you know, hierarchy. Um, it just it's not just about speed but it's also kind of associated with suppressing ideas mm-hmm. so how how do you how do you get the people motivated to to not suppress the ideas and say huh you know i'm not going to give this anyways because as it goes up it's going to take 2 years to do or whatever <laughs> yeah what 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 happens and then oh by the way in the end of that 2 years you're going to have a new regime and voted in yeah, and they'll yeah. have a different priority uh, that that is one of the one of the problems, one of the big challenges, and that's why we focus on things that can be done quickly, efficiently, and at a low level, because it, with very little resources. Because mm-hmm. at a low level, um, they don't challenge anybody. Now, mm-hmm. the example we gave, the example we gave was all handled at the front line level. Uh, uh, the the front line workers sort of agreed, all agreed it was a good 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 process change. The boss isn't going to get in the way. The boss is going to say, what do you need? You know, mm-hmm. and they'll say, well, we need a little bit of time. And of course, we're going to use the printer and this and that and uh, maybe 10 bucks for supplies. No problem. They can pull that out of the budget. 
it flies below the level where where you run into people from other departments. You run into um, conflicts. What happens oftentimes in government is different units have conflicting goals. And those conflicting goals may even be because they have different constituents. Government is very complicated that way. They've got different constituents with competing goals. And so by doing things at the grassroots level, it, um, it, 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 it's really where the efficiency lies. And it's surprising what you can actually do. Now, there's, there's one other thing that happens. These little ideas, what happens to them? They disappear. They disappear into the operating efficiency of the unit. You just don't even notice them if you're an outsider. All you see is a well-run department. But I can also think that level of flexibility at the frontline level helps when you're trying to implement larger ideas as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that makes sense with the little ideas that kind of fly under the radar. And, um, um, you know, but it, it still it, it still takes, uh, you know, some kind of leadership among the um, uh, among the troops. OK, to 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 foster it. And uh, I'm going to stick myself out the window a little bit because, you know, we all ha- have, you know, stereotypes and, and government workers were all stereotyped. Okay. You know, okay. They're, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be mean. And I apologize to our listeners, but, you know, it's, oh, yeah, they have a government job. They'll get a good retirement. So they're, you know, they're not going to come up with ideas. Okay. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of in a lot of people's mind. Um, you know, to, not that it's true, but it it is a stereotype, and we live with that. And so, how do you how do you then foster accountability and foster leadership in this environment? You you've hit a, you've hit a critical point, uh, Kimberly, and um, uh, we do have a lot. We run into a lot of frontline people who have what we call learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. They have they have learned over time that they try to change things, it's too much work, it's too much effort, they get too much put, pull back, push back, this is the way we've always done it. And they sort of, you sort of take the heart out of people. And one of the challenges is, is getting them back engaged, those type of people. But you know, the majority of people that I run into want to, at that level, want to do a good job, they want to contribute, they want to be part of a, a winning team, they don't want to just put in their time and go home. Um, they want to have a meaning, meaningful work. And you can bring them around. Uh, mm-hmm. so a lot of them, a lot of times it's easy to do, but fewer time, fewer, um, um, there are cases where you really have to get rid of people. Yeah. Now, you were, we were talking earlier on why now. One of the reasons now is the values and perspectives of the new generation, the younger generation. And by that, I mean uh, the millen, which is getting into uh, the 30s, well, into the 30s on down, have a different way of thinking. And they'll accept this, uh, this type of approach much more easily. The challenge is getting leaders on the front line who know how to manage in a way that pulls the ideas and engagement of their employees out and doesn't just administer and say, well, here's the rules, you follow them. Um, it takes that type of frontline leader that has some institutional savvy and knows how to manage their people, draw out their ideas, manage them intrinsically motivating them instead of extrinsically motivating them. 
Yeah, and 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 you're right. The generational change is also, and I think I think as we go to Gen, Gen Z, we're going to see even more extreme change of of wanting to contribute, um, because Gen Z really does not want to have a position where they're not contributing okay, to ideas. So, um, so that brings me to the question: ideas. Okay, H- how do you how do you get the ideas? I mean, to, you know. <laughs> 25 years ago, we had the idea box when we all were working and it never worked. Okay, you know, so I mean, you know, throw it in there. Management looks at it, says, "Nope, that's not good." Okay, so yeah. Well, 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 Kimberly, management wasn't there to see what the idea, what the idea really, how the idea really impacted. That's true too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the 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 trick the trick is is. Um, you, we talked about two things there. One is where do the ideas come from, how do we get them, and then how we process them. Mm-hmm. All right. Where they come from is is, is, is quite, you know, you, you can get at them so many different ways. Sometimes they come directly there. But the, the best way to do things is to, to help create a, a local um, vision down at your frontline team level. You know, what can we do better? What is our core goal? What do we have to improve? It could be eliminating long waits. It could be delivering our uh, material in five days instead of uh, 45 days. It could be whatever is important. But the idea is then what gets into the way, in the way of that? What gets in the way of the problem? That's one way of finding problems. Another way of finding problems is what bugs you. Nothing engages people more than legitimately allowing them to complain. But they have to complain about something that they can fix or that they can get a fix to that doesn't have to be solved five levels up in the organization, that they can solve locally. You get some of those those those, those first ideas and then it, it grows from there. In terms of how to handle the ideas, what you were talking about is the classic suggestion box, which, by the way, goes back to medieval Venice. Um, so it's, it's, not that it's, it's not that it's new. Uh, but uh, uh, it never works because the people putting in the ideas are the ones seeing the problem. The people that are evaluating are at a distance, their management. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is you have to close that. Who are the best in the best position to see if an idea really works? The answer is people close to the problem, people on the front lines, the, 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 uh, the colleagues of that individual with the idea. But you know what the other thing, Kimberly? What if it's a bad idea and you put it in? What do you do? You undo it. It's easy. It never gets out of the department. It's just, oh, that was a bad idea. What did we learn? We learned how not to do that. Uh, let's try something else. And so it's it's rapid. It's quick. It's these are things that are easy to implement. Um, stay, you know, you do get into the harder things, but they take longer. Yeah. No, I think that's good. You're right. I mean, I remember idea boxes and. Uh, you know, after a while, people stop putting stuff in there because the management should just look at it and not do anything. Um, but, Dean, we're going to take another break for a minute. And um, I just, when we come back, I, I wonder if you have an example of, like, an, I, uh, an idea. You gave the another idea. You gave the, um, the license. I think that's a great idea if you have another kind of example for us. And then when we come back, um, I want to talk about really um, – 
a little bit about technology and decision making. Uh, and uh, for our listeners today, we are talking to Dr. Dean Schroeder, and he's an award-winning author, consultant, and academic. He's the best-selling co-author of Ideas Are Free, The Idea-Driven Organization, and Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transferring Public Organizations. And he is also the Senior Research Professor at Valparaiso, uh, university where he formerly served as associate dean and founded the school's graduate school. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Dean, you can reach out to him on his website at dmschroeder.com. And you can also go to his other website at practicalinnovationgovernment.com. And I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. And the books are on Amazon. Um, you know, regardless if you're in your public or government management or organizations. Uh, as a private sector manager, I think they're really good reads um, and quite eye-opening on what the government and the public sectors are doing today. So I highly recommend that. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, do market research, and legislative white papers focus on digital. They also have conferences, and their next conference is going to be May 21st to 23rd in Berlin. So if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insights from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, and get hired into the career you want and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. 
Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis. And today we're talking about leadership and management, but not in the private sector like we usually do on the show. We're talking about the the continuous improvement that is now happening in government and the public sectors. And our guest today is Dr. Dean Schroeder, he's award-winning author, consultant, and academic. He is the best-selling co-author of Ideas Are Free, the idea-driven organization, and practical innovation in government, how front leaders are transforming public sector organizations. And so, um, Dean, before we talked about that, that I first of all, really good. I didn't know the idea back, box went all the way back to Venice. That's something I learned right now. So, uh, you know, I I know it was there when I was in university, but uh, you know, uh, all the way going back to Venice. That's interesting. Um, so, do you, do you have any other examples of maybe something from this from this uh, front line? You know, idea, you know, um, or engagement and ideas that you've seen in your work. That I have ab- absolutely lots of them. Let's let's take this in context. Let me set up a context and then share a couple of quick small ideas and 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 look at the whole impact that that had. This is a, this is the story of uh, Denver Excise and Licensing. We we talked one about one of their ideas, but when Stacy Lauks first came to that office, she was applied. She was assigned by the um, mayor, Mayor Hancock, to take over the office. She walked in, and the temperature in the office was 85 degrees, and the air conditioner couldn't keep it down. This is an office that does about 70 to 80 different types of licenses, business licenses, security guard licenses, marijuana selling licenses, and a lot of licenses. And so what happened is there were so many people waiting in line for licenses that the air conditioner couldn't keep up. Mm. So she knew knew there was a problem. They looked into it and the average wait time to get a license renewed was an hour and 40 minutes peak times of five, six, and even eight hours. So it was ridiculous. So she had to go at this rather than asking for more resources and more uh, frontline staff. um, She started training her staff on continuous improvement and getting their ideas. And that's what she did. And what happened in a period of 18 months, that wait line went from an hour and 40 minutes to seven minutes average. And then the next time when I went went to follow up, there was no line at all. And so what you saw is this was taking place through lots of little ideas. Now, lots of little ideas. Let's look at a little idea. Well, one of the things they discovered was 40% of the people that got to the head of the line to be served by the service techs had to be turned down because they didn't have the right package of of um, documents. Okay, well, the problem was all these different licenses had a different package of documents, but they weren't in a package. They were individual things, individual documents that you had to pull out and fill fill in. So they'd have five or six different things. And there was a huge place where you'd go and pick out of pigeonholes Uh, You'd pick out one document here, one document there, and all these different documents, and you put them together, and invariably, a lot of the documents looked like each other, Mm -hmm. and and so they'd make a mistake. Well, one day, um, Leo, one of the frontline service techs, had a guy coming up and applying for a security guard license. Security guard licenses were really, had really 
exploded because um, of legalizing marijuana, and which was a cash business because it wasn't legalized federally and all the different elements. So they had a lot of security guards. Well, he handed this nice packet. And Leo's looking at it. It's nicely organized. Everything's where it needs to be. He says to the guy, he says, gee, this is a nice package. You did a good job of organizing that. The guy said, I didn't organize it. My boss just gave it to me like that. <laughs> so, the, so the boss had organized all these individual um, forms into a package. And Leo said, duh, what if we had the forms pre-organized? Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense, right? But until that time, when he originally set out, it made sense to duplicate and put each of the forms uh, in their different slot. But if you package those forms together that need this license, that license, and other things, totally eliminated 40% of returning people away. Bang, one little idea, one little idea. Yeah. And, uh, and when you think about it, it's actually common sense. It so is. It hates, yeah, really common sense, you know. I mean, common sense well, isn't that common. Yeah, exactly. That's a great story. I really like that one because I'm kind of a, 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 a COD myself. So, you know, so anyways, um, you know, I, that's great. And, uh, you know, that that's a really good example. Um, 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 you know, and we're talking, you know, part of that is with papers and putting papers together. But I had a question um, because a lot of ideas and especially now that we have we have the millennials and the generation Z uh, millennials and the generation Z um, in these offices and stuff technology okay everything's technology and government is always you know that's something that no matter what you do has to go up because it probably costs money okay um, so you know I, do you see any efficiencies like you know getting technology in faster um, because it always seems like you know government public centers are quite close slow when it comes to technology yeah the, the the interesting thing about technology is technology itself when you look at it at a macro level has less of an impact than you think it does and one of the one of the interesting things is if you take a broken process and you throw technology at it all of a sudden what you're doing is automating yeah. broken process, process. So you, you got to get the process right first but the interesting thing is once you do have that process right, once you do know exactly what's supposed to supposed to take place, in implementing the technology is easier. It's mm-hmm. easier because the technology is there to support the process. The process is done the right way. Therefore, you're not trying to automate something that doesn't work very well to begin with. And it, it, it just goes well. Now, now technology is a catch-all we use for everything. So uh, it, it could be digitization, mm-hmm. uh, which, was, which was going on at, at, at Denver Excise and Licensing, is one of the people said, why don't we digitize this? And they put it together and digitized uh, these records. These records were always getting lost. They, 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 you know, they, they, they went. They digitized, but when they digitized, they, so it's done by the folks on the front line. It wasn't done by some outside consulting. It was done on the front line, so they could 
they could put it into a process. They digitized a process and it worked. It was the best. So they cleaned out the records and the end result was now everyone in government that needed those records, not just people from exercise practicing, could access those records. On mm -hmm. form. Nice, fast, clean, and effective. Yeah, and um, yeah, that I mean that, that that's true because you can't you tech technology doesn't help a broken process for sure. Um, but um, I, I, I we're we're getting to almost towards the end, and I have one really pressing question. Okay, so you know when I opened up the show and I said you know we as citizens, regardless what country you're in or whatever, you always hear a lot of complaints about government. And so I guess my question is, um, is the customer in focus in any of these ideas? I mean, we, we, we know that, you know, people are trying to, to make their own jobs more efficient and make things quicker. I, I think there might be a customer focus there in the license when you said they're not working 45, waiting 45 minutes anymore. Um, but, you know, it's always a complaint that, that these processes are not customer-focused, okay? Do you see that changing now? A a a absolutely, because what you have is the people coming up with the ideas are the ones that are dealing with the customers. They're the ones hearing mm -hmm. the customer complaints. So they're the ones that their ideas solve those customer complaints. What happened eventually at... Uh, um, excise and licensing, Denver excise and licensing, is they became so efficient, they got the process down, then they went, then they moved it online, and now it is it is just so much easier for the customer, they don't even have to come in anymore. Um, we also have internal customers in government. Uh, my favorite example of that is the Washington State Patrol Garage. What they had is because of government cutbacks, they didn't buy patrol cars to be converted uh, new cars to be converted to patrol cars for a couple of years. So the garage that did that, you know, fell behind. And the, the mm. cars were getting 150,000 miles on. The number one complaint by uh, to the um, um, head of the Washington State Patrol was unsafe cars. Well, the garage was, was uh, trained up by Boeing, believe it or not. Boeing trainers came in and trained him. And over a period of eighteen of uh, uh, 30 months, they went from being able to convert 12 cars a day, a month, to 36 and solved that problem. Now, that was the internal customer that benefited there, the, the, the Washington State yeah. Patrol officers. Yeah. Great, great example, yeah. Because um, um, I gave, actually in our pre-talk, um, I gave Dee an example of something that's just happened here in the Czech Republic that's made all of our lives easier if you own a business. Um, we each kind of have our own online mailbox where we used to have to go to like five different departments and stand in line. And it's electronic, so it's great. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, Dean, we're kind of at the end of the show. So just um, for our listeners, um, any last words and maybe what's the biggest takeaway that you think that that people can get from your book? One of the biggest takeaways is that uh, we found government organizations that were performing as efficiently as the best organizations anywhere, in the private sector or anywhere. And it was because they turned the power of continuous improvement at all levels of government 
on to on to uh, improve improving and hitting that performance. The other big takeaway is that we're surprising is most of my talks have actually been to business. What business can learn from government? That's a twist, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I mean, the book is fantastic, and uh, you know, it's, I mean, for the business listeners out there, I mean, what's your last word to the business listeners out there? The, the business listeners is they they'll be able to read the book, understand it, and and pr- apply it to their own uh, situations, mm-hmm. even though they're not in government. Um, the lessons hold in business as well. Okay, great. Well, Dean, thank you so much. It's been so great. And for our listeners, um, we've been talking to Dr. Dean Schroeder, and he's an award-winning author, consultant, and academic. He's the best-selling co-author of Ideas Are Free, The Idea-Driven Organization, and a Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations. Uh, both books are available on Amazon. And Dr. Schroeder has worked with organizations worldwide, led radical transformations at four companies, served on four corporate boards, and was on the board of examiners for the Malcolm Bridge Natural Quality Award for six years. Dr. Schroeder is a senior research professor at Valparaiso University, where he formerly served as an associate dean and founded the school's graduate programs in management. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Dean or Dr. Schroeder, you can reach him on dmschroeder.com. And he also has a second website, which is practicalinnovationingovernment.com. So please reach out to him. And this broadcast has also been brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, does market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital transitions. They also hold online learning series every Thursday at 1700 Central Europe time. And their next live conference, which they hold, your hive conferences, is May 21st to 23rd in Berlin, Germany. Cinda also has an e-learning platform for startups, product managers, and SMBs to help them succeed and launch new ideas. The platform goes from idea conception to exit. And it's in cooperation with Boss Capital for Startups. So please go to www.cindit.com for that. And Dean, thank you again. Thank you. It's been enjoyable. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And for our listeners, please tune in to us again next week. And thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.